0: wonderful, wonderful day we have here before us, Baruch Hashem, such a, as I said earlier, an auspicious day, a glorious day, a wonderful day, celebrating uh, Rosh Hodesh Nisan and upcoming wedding, Baruch Hashem, you know, um, you know, they say that it's good to get married when the time of the month when the moon is waxing, waxing strong, right? Um, and then you know it's here. It is Nissan, first of the month. So Shlomo is just trying to be so spiritual. He's trying to get all the blessings called down on his his family right here. But I, you know, I've often said, by the way, that uh, there's. There's like this burning within me to explain to people why this faith, this Yeshua-centered Judaism, is so wonderful. And, you know, it's sometimes, I don't know if you feel this way, but sometimes you just want to grab people by the ears and go, Listen to me. There's a million dollars over there. Quit trying to use your pennies. Go over there and get it. It's for you. Don't miss out, right? And people miss out. So I want you to think about something. I want you to just think to yourself, because I've said this about Arab, right? I've said this about Arab in the past. Forget about all the religious stuff about it. How wonderful religion, not, you know, not that it's bad, but just, just set that aside for a second. How would America or society be transformed if on every Friday night... The cell phone got turned off, the iPad got turned off, the, the TV got turned off, right? Nobody made any plans to do anything secular, but everybody came to dinner as a family and the father spoke nice words and a blessing over his wife and over his children and everybody had a meal together, and they fellowshiped together, and they just talked together as a family. That was not date night, that was not go to the movie night, that was not uh, wash the clothes night, it was that. Imagine how society would be transformed. Just set aside the religious part of it for just a minute, and just imagine that. You know, they say, this experts, because, you know, we have to have experts. They say that, uh, that families that have dinner together stay together. <laughs> but really, they say that. They say if families that have dinner together, you know, that they're not, they don't, uh, you know, you don't go into all, everybody's separate room and eat, but you have dinner together that it actually builds community in the family. And so they, I've heard people say before, well, you know, if we could just figure out a time when we can make that all happen, I'm like the era of Shabbat. Yeah. <laughs> but imagine this. So in our, as many of you know, our modern, our, our culture here in this country anyway The culture is that uh, a man and and a woman, the night before their wedding or whatever, the day before, what have you, they have bachelor and bachelorette parties, right? And many of us know that in most cases, the intention of that party and all the things that surround it, right? That's the mindset of modern culture. So you enter into a marriage having just defiled yourself with this, Insidious party right that you had man and woman together coming That's how you enter the marriage you enter the marriage having just defiled yourselves now into the marriage now transpose that or take that away and cha- Exchange it for Yeshua Center Judaism and Judaism, which is kind of the same thing um, Where The day before your wedding, a man and woman, that's their own personal Yom Kippur. So they fast all day and they daven and they take the sitter and they daven the confessional prayers and they read Torah and they think about it and they pray that God should renew them like baby children and they go to the mikveh before the wedding so that when they come together and under the chuppah, they are born again and sin free. And then on top of that, you have the man who made Aliyah to the Bema today to read the Torah, to take hold of the Torah, to ask Hashem, to bless the marriage and the Kadusha, the reading of the Torah should be extended to the, to the way. I'm just gonna ask you, how would society be transformed if we got rid of the bachelor and bachelorette party and every man and woman had a miniature Yom Kippur for themselves before they got married? What do you think would happen to the divorce rate? You don't have to ask, I'll tell you. In the Orthodox world, among observant Jews I'm talking about, not non-observant Jews. I'm talking about among observant Jews, there is, this is statistically true, a 98% less likely chance of getting divorced than other religious faith. 98% less likely. And in Judaism, divorce is allowed. In other religious faith, I don't have to tell you which one, in other religious faith is considered the gravest of all sins next to drinking alcohol. You have a beer, a glass of wine, or God forbid, even something more insidious like tequila. (laughs) And you're going to hell forever. You get divorced, and you're going to the seventh level of hell. And yet, statistically speaking, divorce in the secular world and divorce in the religious world is virtually the same. Except for orthodoxy. People get divorced in Orthodox world, they absolutely do, but it is nowhere near the rate of the secular world or the other religious worlds. Why? Why? Because a man is, listen, let me tell you something. When you're in a relationship like this, there's so much to think about before, when you're getting into trouble in your marriage or when you're being tempted, you're thinking about, wait a minute, all that should look, i I'm Yom poor, all that. Yeah. I got in front of everybody, I read the Torah. Now I'm going to do this? No, I don't think so. When I spent all this time praying, confessing all my sins, standing before God. Really, no, I don't think so. Right. When I stood up under the hoopah, the chazan, canted this, the sheba barachot over me, the rabbis there talking, drinking the wine out of the kiddush cup, right? The rabbis, all this stuff, right? Uh-huh. I don't think so. Yeah. I'm just telling you that this faith walk that we're on is not just as Zeke and Rafer likes to say. The next stop on your little faith walk, this is like the next little thing. Oh, that was, that was fun, you know? We went to Disney World. Look. No, this is, this is real. This is real. The synagogue is real, and I'm real. Just in case you're wondering, because we live in a virtual world. We live in a world where social media exists, right, and very few things are real. So we want to be in a world where we're real, Okay. I'm making it up. You get on Facebook sometimes, and you can tell when somebody has a fake name, because, like, uh, their, their name is Yeshua Elohim. And I'm like, I know your mom did not name you Yeshua Elohim. So I unfriend you. <laughs> Until you can tell me your real name. And if it's Charlie, just say it. Be proud of it, don't it? Let's say Abraka. Blessed are Yodonai, our God, the King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments and commanded us to engross ourselves in the words of your Torah. Please, deny our God, sweeten the words of your Torah in our mouth and the mouth of your people, the house of Israel. And may we and our offspring and the offspring of your people, Israel, the house of Israel, all of us, know your name and study your Torah for its own sake. Blessed are Yodonai, who teaches Torah to his people, Israel. Amen. Random note of Halakha, I just thought I'd mention it, don't know why I want to say it, but in case you're new and you're wondering, the reason we point at the Torah scroll with our pinky finger is because that is uh, a statement of faith, that because our pinky finger is our smallest uh, finger, we point at the Torah scroll in order to say that we accept even the smallest jot or tittle of the Torah as holy and divine. So in case you're wondering... That's why we do that. I I just feel like saying that. I want to read something from Ezekiel I mentioned earlier. If I can find Ezekiel. They took it out of this Bible, but... Oh, come on. Sorry. I'm so used to using... This is not a Hebrew Bible, so I've got to get back to the order. There it is. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, this is the New King James. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Nothing wrong with the New King James. It's just a joke. It's just... You know, we, we've got to be more, hum- we got to be, uh, we got to lighten up. <laughs> People got to lighten up. Be more humorous. All right? Baruch Hashem. So, uh, Ezekiel 46, Ezekiel 46, we're going to look at the first couple of verses. Very important verse here. It's actually part of the, um, I believe, right? Yeah, it's actually part of the, Haftarah for today, Ezekiel 46. Just want to point this out, because sometimes I say things, and some people think I'm lying, right? But I'm not. So Ezekiel 46, this is what Hashem says, sovereign Hashem, right? The gate of the inner court facing east is to be shut on the six working days. Excuse me, sorry. Be shut on the six working days, but, say but. but. But on the Sabbath day and on the day of the Rosh Chodesh, it is to be open. Wow. Now, I don't know about you, but that is extremely powerful. Because, now, understand, Hashem can bless us on the six working days. Hashem answers our prayer. He hears our prayer on the six working days, all that is true. But what Hashem is saying—by the way, Ezekiel's in the Bible—what Hashem is trying to say is that on Shabbat and Rosh Hashanah, now Shabbat would include the other Yom, Yom, uh, Yom Tovim as well, but on Shabbat and and Rosh Hodesh, there is a special anointing of blessing. And this is one of those times where I mentioned earlier you want to grab people by the ear because you know we're over, and it's not there, it's not our fault, it's not their fault. They're, we're overcome with religiosity, and in, in, I, in this day and age, I mentioned social media, but the internet is the good news and the bad news. It, it just, it, it can be a great wellspring of information, but it can also be a wellspring of poison. And people are just poisoned, and they're scared, and they're terrified, and religious spirits are on us. And you just want to grab hold of people and go, my goodness, if you could just take hold of Shabbat and Rosh Shodesh, you would live under the open heaven. I didn't say it. God said it. It's not my opinion. It's God's word. If I could just get people to keep the Shabbat and Yom Tov, they would live in an open heaven. And we're going to just a second, that God, that 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 takes us from the position of having to be controlled and live in the natural to being people who live in the supernatural. We're going to find out in just a moment that as Jews, we don't, we're not confined to the natural realm. We're in the supernatural realm, which is why people can be blessed in such a way with our healed of diseases that God says, excuse me, that the science says, I'm sorry, there's, no, there's nothing we can do. And yet they live on and on and on and on and on. Women who aren't supposed to have babies have babies and more than one. And then you have all this kind of stuff that happens, right? All these blessings that happen. A congregation like ours, just take something simple. A congregation like ours, not supposed to be able to buy a building, buy a building. Listen, God has ways of doing things outside the natural realm. We have to understand we don't live in a natural realm. Your grass, as a Jew, your grass does not grow in your front ar- yard naturally. You have to understand that. You have to understand on that level that when you look at your grass and your front yard as a Jew, and especially a Jew in Mashiach, your grass does not grow naturally. There is an angel commanding each blade of grass to grow. You say, Rabbi, you what did you eat for breakfast? And all I'm saying to you is that that's how we need to view life. And so I asked the angels to cut the grass that they caused to grow. (laughs) And then Raphael, the angel, told me, I caused it to grow, and you cut it. That's the mitzvah. Raphael didn't really speak to me. But no, honestly, that's how we need to view life, that this is, well, this is, it's Hashem. In other words, it's Hashem who controls our life. We're outside the natural realm. Now, that doesn't mean we're supposed to be Fruit Loops and we're supposed to just wait for a bag of money to fall on our laps, you know, with, to pay our bills and that type of thing. Now we go out and we work, but we have to understand something, that when we're working or we're doing, whatever we're doing, we're putting forth the effort, but God is bringing the blessing, just like Bezalel who built the things in the, in the tabernacle, Bezalel was hammering, and God was making. But he had to hammer, yeah. which is why that we have to keep the mitzvahs. You say, "Well, we keep the mitzvahs," but I don't. I'm confused. I thought God, God gives us the grace, and like, no, yeah, He does. But we still keep the mitzvah, right. right? That's what happens when we, when we get involved. We get involved in the Shabbat. In other words, we get in God's calendar, which we're talking about the calendar today. I'm remember My topic today is about Nisan. But we're, we're getting, when we get involved in God's flow in his calendar, then we get involved in the supernatural. I think I'm a pretty down-to-earth guy. I think I'm just pretty, I, for those of you, some of you know me uh, very well, and some of you know me mostly on Shabbat or what have you, and you're getting to know me. But I think if you really came to know me, you would know I'm just a pretty normal, down-to-earth person. Just pretty, pretty, I'm pretty chill. Pretty much what you see on Shabbat is what you see every day of the week, okay? Uh, I, I wear my kippah and seat all the time, even at home, walk around the house, okay? Uh, the only time I don't wear it is when I'm sleeping, okay? So I'm just saying, I'm just a normal person, right? But at the same time, I believe that we live in a supernatural realm, I believe, we live, I, believe, I believe I live in a supernatural realm. I believe that. I believe that with my whole heart. And in the times that I doubt it, I just have to take a step back and think about everything God's done for me and know that my life is not natural. Yes. And it's not because I'm special. It's because I caught the wave. It's because I, I caught the flow, just like on Finding Nemo. I saw the turtle going by and I jumped on the turtle's back. Kawabunga, dude. There's somebody, there's people who see the turtles going by. They see the flow. They have salespeople telling them, if you get in the flow, you get in the blessing. You stay here, you're going to eat by shark. And everybody sees that. And they're like, yeah, hey, I don't know. But you know, Fred over there told me that that wasn't the right flow. I know, but does Fred read Hebrew? No. But I decided to get on the flow. That's, that's the difference. It doesn't make me special. It just makes me, I don't know. One of the turtles. <laughs> so, look, I want us to turn now to the book of, of Shmote, The book of Shmot The book of e- uh, Exodus. And chapter 21. Tw- no, excuse me. I'm sorry. Chapter 12. This is the Moftir for today. Chapter 12, verses 1 through 20. This is the Mafia. This is the extra portion for today's reading for Rosh Hashanah. Adonai said to Moses and Aaron, in the land of Egypt. Say, in the land of Egypt. That's an important phrase we're going to come back to in a second. Adam said to Moses and Aaron, in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you. Say, for you. For you. For you. Say, for you again. For you. If you're Jewish... You believe in Mashiach, you're Jewish, you've converted to Judaism, all those kind of things. You've grabbed hold of the seat seat of a Jew, you're not a Messianic Gentile, please don't get mad at me. I'm just I'm trying to make, I'm trying to make this differentiations right here, okay? If you're, if you're a Messianic Gentile and you're like, man, what's going on here? I'm just going to tell you the door is open for you to become a Jew. You don't have to remain a Messianic Gentile. Amen. Because there's no such thing, really, but you know but that's that's the good, the good news is that we're not you're not being excluded you're being you're being beckoned to come in please come in <laughs> the sign that says no one goes past this wall except pain of death who's not circumcised the the message in that is get circumcised right right yeah. right yes. because you're like look nobody can come to heaven like, let's just take it like this let's take it the old time religion way no one can come to heaven Unless you get born again, you're going right to hell, right? Now, the message is not you're going to hell. The message is get born again. Come on, let me say that again because y'all missed it. (laughs) The sign says don't come past this wall unless you are circumcised. Otherwise, you'll be killed. That message means get circumcised. Now, if the message is no one can go to heaven unless you're born again, otherwise you're going to go to hell. The message is not you're going to go to hell. The message is get born again. That's how we got to think. We got to think logically through this thing. You can't sit there and say, well, listen, I can't go into the movie theater because they say I can't go in unless I have a ticket. Oh, man, what's wrong with you people? AMC, AMC, down. AMC, down. (laughs) AMC, down. You know, and the the person at the ticket counter is like, just buy a ticket, dummy. You can come in if you have a ticket. But that's the world we live in, right? AMC owes me. Oh, you bet they owe me. Right? No one allowed in without a ticket. That means I'm not allowed in. No, it means get a ticket. (laughs) What's wrong with you? Buy a ticket. Buy a ticket. And see the movie. By the way, Peter Rabbit, man, love it. (laughs) Rabbi going to the movie, you know he's going to hell. Just kidding. Just kidding. Peter Rabbit is a good movie, though. <laughs> <clears throat> this month shall be for you. Say, for you. for you. For you. the beginning of months. It shall be for you. Say, for you. For you. The first of the months of the year. It's, it's for you, not them. Yes. Right. That's an important concept we're going to talk about in a second. <laughs> Speak to the entire assembly of Israel, saying, on the tenth of this month, they shall take for themselves... Each man, a lamb or a kid for each father's house, a lamb or a kid for the household. But if the household will be too small for a lamb or for a kid, then he and his neighbor who is near his house shall take according to the number of people. Everyone according to what he eats shall be counted for the lamb or for the kid. An unblemished lamb or kid, a male within the first year shall be for you. Say for you. For you. Not for them, for you. For you from the sheep or the goats shall you take it. Now, stopping here before we read verse 6. In antiquity, so in case you're watching, you're just tuned in. You're not sure who we are, what we are, what's going on here. Jews don't sacrifice. The reason we don't sacrifice, the only reason Jews don't sacrifice, the only reason Jews in Yeshua and otherwise don't sacrifice, the only reason we don't sacrifice those in Yeshua and otherwise, the only reason, the only one, is because we don't have a temple. My wife, I'm not even going to look at her. She's blessing me right now. Not even, this, is the ta- this is the technique. Yeah, Professional. Uh, yes. <laughs> the only reason is because we don't have a temple. That's the only reason. It's the only reason. When the temple is rebuilt, there will be sacrifices again. How do we know that? Because Ezekiel tells us that. That's the only reason. We, we don't sacrifice today. But back in antiquity, when there was a temple and we did sacrifice, then you had to register for the Pesach. There was a registration for the Pesach. And if you didn't register beforehand, Uh that's a problem. You couldn't show up on the day of. The only exception to that rule was the very first Pesach. Because the very first Pesach... People registered for it, but there were some Jews who still didn't want to heed Moshe's cry. He didn't want to heed, Moshe was having him by the ears and was telling them, don't you want to get out of Egypt? Don't you want to stop being a slave? Don't you want to, don't you want to have power and live outside the natural? And there was people who didn't hear his warning. And so what happened was, because you had to be circumcised before you could eat, right? So what happened was, is while the lambs were being roasted, which in future years, it was already too late. You were knocking on the door, let me in, let me in, let me in, and here comes the little cloud of death. Let me in, let me in, let me in. You couldn't, you're already, you're not registered. But on that night, the, 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 the I'll just call them wicked Jews, when they smelled their roasted lamb, they said, let us eat. And Moshe said, get circumcised. And so they, circ- they got circumcised and they were allowed to eat to fulfill the verse. And all who are hungry, let them eat. Let them come. So there's sometimes when God allows us to smell the lamb. And that we say, God, let me come in and eat. And he says, get circumcised. You have to be circumcised to eat. The message is you can't. The message is not you can't have it. The message is get circumcised. God's heart to us, what he's trying to tell us, what he's trying to wake us up, to wake the world up is say, I have a flow for you and I'm begging you to come in. This is what the apostles meant when it says that they implore people on Messiah's behalf. That was not some cute little thing where they were trying to make up some new religion. All that's garbage. What they were saying is we are imploring you Gentiles into the kingdom. You know, I shared with somebody recently, I said, listen, they were asking about Jews. What about Jews who don't believe in the Messiah? I said, listen, that is such a deep concept because the Torah is Messiah, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera, et cetera, And I don't want to get into all that right now, but basically here's, here's what it is. We can just take Messiah's words. And the words, and then later the words of the apostle, and contrast the two. Messiah, when he was talking to an observant Jew, a Pharisee, he, the Pharisee asked him, "How do I inherit the kingdom of God?" And Messiah's answer was, "What does the Torah say?" And Messiah did not say, "Well, here's the Roman road." No, he said, "What does the Torah say?" And the and, and the, the man quoted to him the Shema and love your neighbors yourself. And Messiah said to him, "You are close to the kingdom of God." Just like when he said, repent, for the kingdom of hand is near, kingdom of God rather is near, it's at hand. What that means is that to say you're close is to basically say you're at it. But later, when the apostle Shaul is writing to the Gentiles in Ephesians, he says to them, You were once far off. See, there's a difference between somebody who's an observant Jew and somebody who's just a Gentile. The message is not the same for both of them. I know it's going to take people, you're going to be like, what did you just say? Yeshua said, no one can come to the Father except through me. So then he applied to all people? Like, yeah, but see, you can't say that the person who comes up and reads the Torah and lives a mitzvah life every single day, lives a kosher life every single day, there's no way that that person is in the same realm as somebody who is out there diddy-bopping at the club on Friday night. And has he even heard of the Torah? And eating crab legs and shrimp and all this kind of, you can't, there's no difference. You say, you say, how dare you, Rabbi? I said, no, how dare you? Listen, our, our courts don't even do that. When somebody comes before the court and they've never committed a crime in their life, the court takes that into consideration. When you come in and you've got a rap sheet a mile long, the court takes that into consideration. Now, I'm not the judge of men, so I don't even want to even call out, I'm just going to say there's a difference. And God knows the difference and he'll, but I'm just gonna tell you there's a difference. But then again, see, why are we worried about all that? See, I just asked the question, why am I even concerned about the Jew who doesn't believe in Yeshua? Why am I not concerned about my own self? Why am I concerned about Mr. Greenberg who, do, who is at the Orthodox synagogue every single Shabbat and maybe every, every day rapping to feeling? Why am I not worried about why I'm not rapping to feeling? Yeah. I know Mashiach. Yes. See, it bothers me whenever we start worrying about what other, some, well, what about the people over there? No, stop worrying about First Baptist and First Methodist. Worry about yourself. Why do we have all these stupid theological debates? You know the truth. I know the truth. Why are we living it? Yes. We're so worried about reaching Jews, we need to reach ourselves. We're so worried about Jews coming to know Messiah, we're not even keeping the Shabbat. Talking to myself. Don't worry about it. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to me this morning. Why am I why am I concerned? This is what Mashiach was talking about when he says you send people cr- halfway across the world to make them twice the son of hell. Why? Because you're teaching them to not keep the mitzvahs just like you're not. Yeah. We, wanna, we always want to apply that to the Pharisees and never to ourselves. Right? right. right? Yeah. I, have a, I have a mission to Tel Aviv. I'm reaching Jews. To, to do what? <laughs> to do what? To have a cheeseburger? At Whataburger? I'm just asking. Right, right. Rabbi, you don't believe in reaching people? No. Come on, man. My entire life has been about that. But before I go out there and try to... You know, we had a thing. I'm going to bring up a Marine Corps reference. Here we go. Everybody roll your eyes. you uh, In the Marine Corps, we had an ethic that if you want to lead somebody to do something, you better be able to do that. Whatever it is you want them to do, you better be able to do it. Right, right. You're going to teach them to jump out of a plane, you better have jumped out of a plane countless times. You're going to teach them, you can crawl on your belly through that mud slop. You better have done that so many times. And you better be able, in fact, I'll never forget this. This, this is such an impression on me. I'm in boot camp, and I'm this young, thin kid. And I know it's true. Back then I was, and so uh, <clears throat> I'm looking. I was scared of heights, and so they had this rope that you had to climb up, and I was 40 feet, or I don't know, something like that, 40 feet, climb up, hit the wood, and c- come down. And I'm scrawny, little, thin kid, and I look at that rope, and I thought, oh God, I became religious like that. <laughs> God, oh, Amen. Tell me. But they had a rope and a rope and a rope, and they were about that far apart. And supposed to, us recruits, supposed to go up there, slap it, call out our drill instructor's name, hoorah, and come down. And so our drill instructor Sergeant Horn, who we called the Hornet because he was so mean, he grabbed one rope with one hand and the other rope with the other hand. And he said, Now I know all you out there think you can't do this. If we're supposed to climb with both hands and both feet. You know, <coughs> right? He's like, I'm going to show you that you can do this. Legs dangling. <laughs> All the way to the top. Ooh, rock! <laughs> and I was like, I'm done, man. I'm going to go. I said, I'm going to go join the Navy. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I did, that. I did that for him. I did that for him. <laughs> but we have to be, you have to be, listen, Hashem, we have to look at our own lives and say, if we're going to go out there and reach people, are we ourselves living for God? According to his Torah, not according to what we think, but according to his, his will. I was looking up a verse this morning and on my pad and, um on this uh, app that I have, and at the bottom of the app, it had a little advertisement for a class, and it showed hands with chains around them, and it said, I- I'm, I'm saved, but how can I stop sinning? And, and I, I looked at that, and I said, how sad. But no one tells them, that, that person, people, whatever, what the Bible says. And that is that sinning is breaking God's law. So the way to stop sinning is to follow the law. You know, when we're, at, when we're ministering at, at the jail, it's, real, it's a simple message. You don't want to be here? You want to never come back here? Don't break the law again. It's just that simple. And all that nonsense that gets into their heads sometimes about, well, I'm here because I had bad luck or I'm here because I, I'm not guilty. And come on, you're guilty. Just admit that you're guilty and, and talk to Hashem and tell him that when you get out of here, you're going to change. You're going to be a, not a criminal. It's just that simple. God makes it so easy for us. And we cling to him every day. We wake up every day and say, I don't want to sin today. Help me not to sin today. And every day, and we find ourselves being tempted, we get into the Torah. That's, it's just that simple. Because if you feel like you're going to break the law, then read the law. Now, look, the month of Nisan, just a couple of things about Nisan, by the way, is, is a very important month because there were three pilgrim festivals. One was in Nisan for Pesach. One was a Sivan for Shavuot, and the other was in Tishrei for Sukkot. The other two, Shavuot and Sukkot, they, even though Shavuot was a one-day festival, they had a week period to bring your offering. So at Shavuot, you had a week, excuse me, at Sukkot, you had a week as well. So during that week, you could, you could bring your offering. However, only on Pesach was it specific. Your offering had to be brought on the 14th of Nisan. Therefore, this this pilgrimage had special significance. This was also called the king of months because it says, this shall be for you. And the the word for you is lechem, which has the same letters as melech. So it's the king of months because it's melech. It's king to us. Nisan is the month of, of redemption for it says in the Talmud, in Nisan, our fathers were redeemed from Egypt and in Nisan, we will be redeemed. The word Nisan itself is a cognate of the, word, uh, of the word Nisim, which means miracles. This is a month of miracles, which is why we're not allowed to fast unless you're getting married. We're not allowed to fast on Nisan because it's a time of joy and time of miracles. We should expect miracles during this month. We sh- Let me say that again. We should expect miracles during this month. We don't live in the natural. We live in the supernatural. The two letters of the, of, in the name Nun at the beginning of Nisan uh, allude, according to the sages, to Nisei Nisin, which is miracle of miracles. Miracle of miracles. Miracle of miracles. Right? Now, in Shemot about 15, the question is asked, why does the verse say, in the land of Egypt? Remember, I said, keep that in mind, in the land of Egypt. Why does it say, in the land of Egypt? Because it says, when the time of redemption arrived, God himself came to retrieve his beloved from the land. From the land. Now, listen to this. This is what the Midrash says. It, 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 it's Rabbi Shimon said, see how great love the, God's love for Israel is? The Holy One, blessed be, he revealed himself in a place of idolatry and in, a, and in a defiled and impure land in order to redeem them. To what can this be compared? This is Midrash Shabbat. Think about Messiah Yeshua as I read this parable. It is compared to a Kohen whose terumah, his portion offering, fell into a cemetery. He says to himself, What can I do? To defile myself by entering the cemetery is prohibited. And to leave my teruma there is also prohibited. Better that I should defile myself this one time and then purify myself rather than lose my teruma. Hashem says, I cannot go down there because that's a place of defilement. How can I defile myself? by putting on flesh, so to speak, by having my image appear in the form of a man. How can I defile myself? But I have a problem, I have to get my teruma. So God says, I'm willing to defile myself. I'm willing to defame my name. I'm willing to allow my, my image to be slapped and persecuted for the sake of getting my teruma out of the cemetery. Perhaps this is what the apostle meant in 2 Corinthians 5:21 when he read Corinthians and he said he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That he God himself decided that he would become defiled rather than lose us. This month is also a time of spring. Obviously, we see things warming up and getting blossoming which itself, by the way, is a supernatural miracle. Springtime is a time of resurrection. We see things coming back to life, that which was dormant coming back to life. And according to the sages, spring was a time of re- the rebirth and a time of the rebirth of nature. <clears throat> it's a time of renewal and growth, they write. In fact, it says like this, this is not is intimated in the very mitzvah that the children of Israel were commanded before leaving Egypt. This month shall be for you, the head of months. It is for you the first of the months of the year. The root of the word month is chodesh, which is identical to the root for new or chadash, which means that this month is the source of all renewal that will happen throughout the year. The word Hadash does not mean, we've said it a thousand times, it does not mean new as in brand new. It means renewed. Because behold, the the prophet said, or the king said, rather, King Shlomo, there's nothing new under the sun. Why? Because, this is a really good one I'm about to say. Because when God created things, Everything was good. It was perfect. Did you just catch that? When God made creation, it says, behold, he saw that it was good, meaning that it was perfect. There was nothing else necessary. So therefore, to suggest that we have to have something new is to insinuate that what was made was not good. But... If what was good has been corrupted, then all God need do is renew it. Which is why there is not a New Testament, there is a renewed Testament. Because the original Testament is good. The problem is it got corrupted by our sin, which is why he had to renew it. That's why there's no new law of Messiah, God forbid, that would be blasphemy and heresy. There can only be a renewed law in Messiah. So we have here the springtime of renewal, and this Rosh Harodashim, Hahodashim, is the this is the very day. Just a picture for a moment. You're sitting under an open heaven, and this moment that you're sitting in, that I'm standing in, we're all here together in and under, is the the, the spiritual element that makes all renewal possible. Why? Because it's a month of redemption. And it saddens me and it burdens me how many people are missing it. It saddens me not because I'm mad at them or uh, all this kind of nonsense that you hear. It saddens me because I, I think of all the people right now that are just <clears throat> within a 100 feet outside this building who are missing this opportunity. And they don't even realize it. And so I ask God to help us to, to help them to find the same diamond that we found. The redemption of Israel is likened to the process of sprouting and flourishing, which in the Hebrew is Zamak. In fact, the Zamak is actually a name of the Messiah himself in the scriptures. So we have this this, uh, season that we're in, is a season of sprouting. As it's written, his name is Zamak. From beneath him, that is from the earth, he will flourish. He'll sprout forth. Where did Yeshua spring forth from? From the earth, from the tomb. Which is why whenever we lift up our bread and we say Baruch Melech we're lifting up a bracha for Yeshua who came the bread of life, who came forth from the earth. Yes. The zamah. <clears throat> Today is the day. The Torah states, today you're going out in the month of spring. This verse refers not only to the redemption from Egypt, but also to the future redemption as well. When Rabbi Yehoshua ben Levi asked Mashiach, when will our master arrive? He said, Hayom, today. When Mashiach did not arrive that day, the prophet Elijah explained to Rabbi Yehoshua ben Levi that Mashiach had in fact referenced the verse Hayom, today, if you listen to his voice. Another interpretation is today, Hayom, you're going out in the month of springtime. From this we may learn that the spiritual service upon which the future redemption is dependent is the service of going out of one's initial introverted or pregnant state of being. That is the way in which you're born in full manifestation to the external reality of the world. In other words, in order to have the revelation of Shiach in our life, we have to go beyond, go outside of our understanding and be born again anew into his reality. Today, if you hear his voice. Similarly, it's written in the book of our heritage. Similarly, the rabbis explain the verse in Shirah two 2.8, the song of songs, 2.8 the voice of my beloved, behold, he's coming. He skips over the mountains. Rabbi Yehoshua explained the voice of my beloved. This refers to Moshe when he told Israel that they, be, they would be redeemed that month. And they said to Moshe, listen to this. They said to Moses, Moses, our teacher, how can we be redeemed? Did not the Holy One, blessed be he, say to Avram that they shall be afflicted for 400 years? And we've been here for only 210 years. And they responded, since he desires that you should be redeemed, he pays no heed to your calcul- He pays no heed to your calculations. Listen to this. This is good. Rather, he skips over the mountains. He skips over the fixed times, that is, the calculations and the leap years, and this month shall in this month shall you be redeemed. That's from Yalkut Shimoni 190. Now. Listen to me. This is why. This is why. Please hear this. This is why and I've said this for years. This is why with all due respect, having big conferences and big big sermon series on trying to calculate the profits is all a bunch of nonsense. Why? Well, what? what well, God said in 77 times 77 times 777 book of Daniel, this is going to happen. <laughs> well, he also said in 400 years, but in 210 years, he redeemed us. Maybe God will just skip over the mountains and all of our calculations will be a, just a big fat waste of time. What should we should be doing instead is davening yes. and praying and following the mitzvahs and yearning for Mashiach's return. Because the scripture says, it did not say in the book of Shemot that God saw their calculations and decided to have the burning bush. It said he heard their cries. When we cry for God, when we yearn for God, when the the destruction of the temple becomes real to us, God will hear our cries. He's not looking for our calculations. He's looking for our cries. Then he'll send Mashiach. He's waiting for us, frankly, in my opinion, I don't know, he didn't tell me this, but I think he's probably waiting for us to stop the nonsense. To stop trying to figure out what's happening in world history and just yearn for him. I'm not saying it's not okay to go, hey, cool, that looks like it may. that's pretty interesting. But to devote our whole time to that. When there's a 99.999% chance you're going to be wrong anyway. Right? This is why we're not supposed to depict the days or, or try to predict, I should say, the days. The month of redemption. One, who's, one who experiences redemption has emerged from darkness into light. This is, right? I'm, the very essence of redemption, I love what is written here in the book of our heritage, is the very essence of redemption is the freedom which has its source in the bondage itself. Had Israel not been enslaved, they would never have experienced true freedom. Once they were enslaved, that very enslavement gave rise to their redemption. From the midst of that darkness and from nowhere else, light burst forth. Our sages taught that Israel said to God, Master of the universe, when will you redeem us? God answered, when you descend to the lowest level at that moment, I shall redeem you. We find that when Yitzhak was born, everyone said a son has been born to, the, to be enslaved. For God told Abraham, your children should be strangers in a land which is not theirs. Brashit 15, 13. Yet Isaac became the father of a nation redeemed and a free people. And when Isaac was bound as an offering on the altar, it seemed that Abraham's progeny were about to perish from the face of the earth. Yet this very incident became a source of merit for his offspring. And from the slaughterer's knife that Abraham raised in submission submission to God's will, all the generations to come were granted life and eternity. In other words, because of the Akedah, everyone was saved. I want you to hear that. Because of the son that was offered, everyone was saved. Because of the son that was offered by the father, everyone was saved. And Yeshua was offered by the father. Now, he, we just got this reading there that we don't really appreciate liberty and freedom unless we've been enslaved. And by the way, everyone, every, everybody's heritage here Regardless of the color of your skin, everybody's heritage here is slavery. If you're black or white, Irish, Hispanic, Indian, everybody at some point in world history has been a slave. Everybody. Jewish, everybody's been a slave. Our heritage is slavery. We know what bondage is like. We've been a slave. When I say we've all been a slave, I mean literally a slave to somebody. The Romans took everybody. Everybody the Romans defeated, they made a slave. From India to Israel to Great Britain, the Celts and the barbarians of the north, everybody they made a slave. Didn't matter. So we read here in the book of Luke, chapter seven, verse 30, 30, beginning in verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat bread with him. Now, side note, only Pharisees eat meals at their home with Pharisees, period, 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 period. If Yeshua is not a Pharisee, no way he's getting invited to dinner. No way. That's this historical fact. It's solid as a rock fact. Encyclopedia Judaica, Josephus, can't argue with it. It's just that's the way it is. Yeshua is a Pharisee. This proves it right here. It's all you need to know. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat bread with him. So he came to the house of the Pharisee and reclined. When it reclined. When a certain woman in the who was a sinner heard that he was reclining in the home of the Pharisee, she brought a vial of perfume. She stayed at his feet behind him and cried, and her tears fell upon his feet, and she dried them with the hair of her head. She kissed his feet and applied perfume to them. The Pharisee who invited him saw and said in his heart, said in his heart, not out loud, if only he were a prophet, then he would surely know that this woman who is touching him is a sinner. Yeshua, hearing the words he spoke to himself in his heart, responded and said, Shimon, I have a word for you. And he said, Rabbi, speak. Side note, only Pharisees were called Rabbi, only Pharisees. No other sect used the term rabbi. In addition, "rab" that Zakin Rayford read was only used to speak of the great sages of the Pharisees. So Rob, a few chapters later, means that Yeshua is a Pharisee. He said, Rabbi, speak. Yeshua said a certain lender had two debtors. One was indebted to him 500 denarii, and the other 50 denarii. Since they did not have the ability to pay it back, he pardoned both of them. Now please tell me, Who of the two cherished him more? Shimon answered and said, I would imagine the one he forgave more. And he said to him, you've judged beautifully. He turned to the woman and said to Shimon, do you see this woman? Look, I came to your house and you did not put water on my feet, but she brought tears down on my feet and dried them with her hair. You did not give me one kiss, but from the time I came in, she's not stopped kissing my feet. You did not apply oil to my head, but she applied perfume to my feet. Therefore, I say to you, her many sins are forgiven, for she is loved greatly. But one who is forgiven a little loves a little. Now, keep in mind, he's talking about the Pharisee. He's been forgiven a little, meaning that he's near to the kingdom of God. But this sinner woman has been far, and she's been brought near through the love of Messiah she's been forgiven much, he's been forgiven a little, doesn't mean that he's evil. It just means he's pointing out the difference of when somebody has been in bondage, they have great love. And when somebody hasn't been lived in a bondage, they don't see it as much. This could also be related back to the convert and the born Jew, which is why God says he loves the convert so much. He said to her, your sins are forgiven, and those reclining with him began to say in their hearts, who is he who forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in shalom. You know, the sages also write about Nisan and they say that Nisan, why is Nisan esteemed better or higher than Tishrei? Tishrei is the first day of creation. Why do, we, why do we put emphasis on Nisan and not Tishrei? Why do we count from Nisan and not count from Tishrei? Even though the years are counted from Tishrei, the spiritual years are counted from Nisan. Why? And the sage is right and they say, because the day of redemption is better than the day of birth. Wow. Yeah. <coughs> we celebrate Nisan, we call it the first month, even though Tishrei is the, 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 year, the time that we count the years, the day of our birth is something but the day of our born againness if I can use that phrase is something greater. I don't know what your life was like but I identify with the woman. Excuse me. So we have one more thing here. I just want to point out one more thing. It says this month would be for you. This is why I just want to get to the you part. Thus the other nations who are constrained by the laws of nature. Did you hear that? I mean this in all sincerity. I want you to hear my heart in this. I don't mean this to be rude or insensitive. I just want you to hear me. If you're being lured in by the deceit, of the Noahide movement, I want you to hear this. Please hear my heart of this. If, if you're being lured in, or have been lured in by the deceit to the Messianic Gentile movement, I want you to hear this. Those are both movements. Noahide is more Jewish. Messianic Gentile is more Messianic, of course. But I just I want there's good people in both movements. I, I, it's not an indictment upon any individual, but but I want to say that both of those ideologies are born out of pride and arrogance. I love the Pharisees. I am a Pharisee, but it's the Pharisee looking at the woman and saying, she's a sinner. She doesn't deserve to be here. And Yeshua says, the woman who's crying and wiping my feet with her hair is more valuable to me than you and your pious seat sitting here. I love you both, but if I had to choose, if I was... Required to choose, I would choose her. So it says here, I want you to listen to this. Thus the other nations who are constrained by the laws of nature, the other nation who are constrained, that's the goyim. If you're being encouraged to be a Noahide or be a Messianic Gentile, what that means is you're being encouraged to remain a goy, which means you're being encouraged to live outside the realm of the supernatural. They have their beginning only in Tishrei. I want you to hear this. You need to hear this. They have their beginning only in Tishrei, on the day that commemorates the creation. On that day, they are judged. But for Israel, there are other beginnings of the year, the beginnings of each month. And there is a month that is the first of all these beginnings, and that's the month of Nisan. See, if you're Jewish, you get to tap into all the renewals, If you're a Gentile, all you have is creation. Every month, the people of Israel hope that the strength of their youth will be renewed either naturally or supernaturally. In the month of Nisan, their expectation that the divine presence will be revealed is even greater and more than at any other time. This month shall be a month, a first of months for you. That is to say, The introduction of something new into the plan of creation is intended for you alone. And the month of Nisan is the first of those things which go beyond the constraints of nature, he writes. Even though the laws of nature were given to Israel as well as the other nations, they can choose, Israel can choose to live naturally as do the other nations and can even be more prosperous doing so, nevertheless... They have been given a path of miracles and wonders which supersede nature, the natural order, a path which is meant to be their primary objective to which takes precedence over the natural path. I want to encourage you today, when you're thinking about this month of Nisan, to think about the spirituality of it. And when you're cleaning out your homes and, and you're thinking about getting ready for Pesach, I, I just want you to really think about what you're doing. Think about this month of, of redemption. I've been asking Hashem for the last several weeks because we, the men come up here and, and we pray the Korbanot prayers. And the last thing we do is we, we pray and we, we beseech God and we say that, that, that There is no temple. There is no priest at their service. There is no Levites on their platform. There are no Israelites because of our sin. But God, you said you would accept our lips like bulls. And I read that each and every week, and I've been asking God, where's my tears for the temple? Why is my heart cold when I read that? Where is my yearning? How come my voice is not cracking when I read that and say, because of my sin, your temple was destroyed? And in those two things, I'm talking about two things. I'm talking about the return of Messiah, the temple, and I'm talking about the physical temple to be rebuilt, which is a supernatural temple. Where is our yearning for that? You say, Rabbi, why are you talking to me? I'm, I'm, I'm talking to me. This, this is me. Where are my tears? Where is my heart? How come I don't long for that? What's wrong with me? Why am I planning my day to day and not crying out for Mishkanak? It's not about you, it's about me. But I want you to make it about you. I want you to take this, and I want you to take it home with you today, and I want you to sit it and look at yourself in the mirror and say, how come I'm not crying out for God's kingdom? He chose Jerusalem. He didn't choose Dallas. He didn't choose Washington. He didn't choose Paris. He chose Jerusalem. And the covenant is for Jews. I'm just, hey, it it is. The good news is that everybody's welcome to join the family. Get into the flow. Don't let this real Shodesh go by and just consider it another Shabbat. Let it be a turning point for all of us. And ask God to break our hearts. What do we know? What do we know? Hashem, may your name be praised and glorified. Amen.